And you hit record. I did hit record. <laughs> we forgot one time and it was just me and her. It was amazing. Yeah, the whole thing. I'll do it all. It was, right we had now. a Groundhog Day moment. Yeah, <laughs> I've had that. So now I just like, yeah. you know, you I just double every check. time. <laughs> and it doesn't bother you at all, right, Mary? No. no. I'm, just, I'm sorry. I'm just, <laughs> yeah, it's going. See, Thank I can you. see the time. It's counting. Okay. <laughs> sorry, Mary. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the Homestay Kitchen with me, Mary Chan, and Erin Eastman. This is a podcast where we serve up stories of being a homestay family, the ups and downs of making a connection with international homestay students. We'll bring a playful of stories, ideas, interviews, and hopefully dish up some anecdotes to share with our community. How do you build a successful relationship with homestay students? Well, you ask the experts. In this episode, we chat with Jennifer Wilson, the Managing Director of the Canada Homestay Network. As a second-generation leader of the Canada Homestay Network, Jennifer is passionate about creating opportunities for building relationships and believes that Homestay offers a unique opportunity for all of us to break down cultural barriers and make the world a smaller place. In part one of this two-part interview, we learn about this nonprofit society, discuss common issues hosts go through, and how the process of matching students with hosts actually works. We learned a lot during this conversation, so we hope you do too. Grab something to take notes and maybe a good cup of tea or coffee or chai in Aaron's case, and let's settle in with Jennifer Wilson. Hi, Mary. Hi, Erin. How are you? I'm good. We are here today with Jennifer Wilson of the Canada Homestay Network. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you. It's great to be here. So you are the managing director of the Canada Homestay Network. So tell us about that organization and how it helps homestay families and students in general. Sure. Canada Homestay Network was started in 1995 by my mother. So it's a family-run organization. We were originally the Homestay Toronto Limited. So we started back in Toronto to provide homestay accommodation for students enrolled at the Pacific Language Institute. It's a great story about how it started, actually, because my mom was running a bed and breakfast out of our family home at the time. And she was approached by the owners of PLI in Vancouver. They were opening a campus in Toronto. And they found her through her reputation with her B&B and asked her if she would run their homestay program. And she said, what's homestay? Oh, wow. She'd never even heard of it. She didn't even know what it was. And uh, she said no. And they came back to her a couple of weeks later and said, really, we we want you to reconsider. Like, we really think you would be really good for this. And so she thought about it a little bit more the second time and talked to my dad about it and decided she would try it out. And thinking initially that it would be something that she would sort of do on the side and ask some of friends of hers to host. And, you know, the first month it was April and there were, I think, four or five students. And sure enough, she found some friends to take them. And then the second month there were 10 or 12 students. And then by June, there were 50 students. Oh, oh my gosh. So it just grew from there. And now here we are, you know, 24 years later, we have about 150 employees all across Canada. We're in about 40 communities from coast to coast. And we work with independent language schools still, as well as private high schools, publicly funded school districts, universities, and colleges. 
So we partner with the Canadian institutions. They do all the student recruitment and bring in the students. And then they look to us to provide the accommodation in homestay for those students. We are responsible for recruiting the host families. So we're the ones who put out the ads and try to find the families and tell everybody how great of an experience it can be. And then we match them with the students based on their profiles, as you guys know, that whole process. And then we manage the relationship when they're on the ground. So we're the person that you call in the middle of the night when you have an emergency with your student. And then we help them with mediation and facilitation and relocations and all that stuff. And then managing all the logistics from the students uh, our time when it's time to go home. So that's sort of it from start to finish. We consider ourselves experts in homestay and that's all we do. How does the Canada Homestay Network differ from, say, a homestay coordinator with an existing program at a school? Yeah, good question. It's very similar. So the job that your homestay coordinator does when they work for the school district is the same job that our, what we call, relationship managers do. The difference is, of course, who their employer is. So that can impact their availability to some extent. So our team's available Mm 24-7, whereas some school districts, they're unionized employees, so they Mm -hmm. might only be available 9 to 5, for example. But other than that, really the scope of work and the role that they play in terms of helping you as a host parent would be the same. And the difference is, you know, why a school district would choose to hire and run their own team in-house for homestay versus outsourcing, so to speak, really comes down to the school district's preferences when it comes to risk management and whether or not they see that as part of their portfolio of sort of core services. The partners who choose to work with us really see their mandate as providing the educational opportunity to the student and accommodation and homestay isn't part of what, you know, their core Mm -hmm. mandate. So they want to provide that service still. I mean, it's necessary for to attract students. You have to have somewhere for them to live, but they really want to make sure that that's being provided by, as I say, experts in homestay. So that's all we do. That's all we focus on. We've been doing it for 24 years We've placed over 70,000 students in homestay since we started. So I could say we've got a lot of experience. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So especially for a new program, like in a smaller community or in a place where they haven't been running a homestay program, Mm -hmm. it's pretty daunting to think about how to start that up. We're sort of word of mouth. Most of our clients have come to us through referrals from other happy clients. And they say, you should call these guys if you want to run a homestay program. And what about the nonprofit aspect of it? How did that come to play? (laughs) That's a good question. So again, most of our, well, I would say about half of our students are considered underage. So they're minors and about half are adults. The majority of our partners, our educational partners are in the public sector. So they're universities, colleges, and publicly funded school districts. So we felt that creating a nonprofit society would align us better with our clients. We want to make sure that they understand that we're doing this for the the right reasons. We're not a money-making operation that's in this to, you know, fill our pockets. It's really about the experience of the students and wanting to make the world a smaller place and build bridges and break down barriers between cultures. So all of those wonderful motivations are enforced by the corporate structure that we've adopted to say, we charge the fees we need to charge in order to run the program and reinvest in our organization. And we say that authentically, and you can trust us that we are doing this for the right reasons. That's really what it's about. So what fills your bucket? <laughs> um, that's a great question. I, I love my job because I get to 
meet really interesting people. I love the fact that every day is different. When I wake up in the morning, I don't know what's going to be thrown at me on that day. And sometimes that's stressful and sometimes it's fun. I think I feel most of the time that it's satisfying because, you know, knock on wood, so far I haven't been faced with a problem we couldn't resolve. And resolving those challenges is something that gives me a lot of satisfaction. I also work with an amazing team. I think you can say that of, of any job that you've ever had, your favorite workplaces are probably the places where you it's bond and connect the with the like people. Us. Yeah. And the kind of people I think that you've you've probably noticed, the folks who are attracted to being host families, it's similar in our business. So the people who are attracted to working in international education really understand those same we had we share the same values. We really want the same things and so to be surrounded by folks who share that vision is really inspiring. What qualities do you look for in host families? In host families, all the things that you guys have already talked about in your podcast, I'm sure. So people with an open mind, people who are willing to share their home with a stranger. Although one of uh, the hosts that I interviewed recently said, they're only a stranger for the first five minutes. That's so true. <laughs> it is You're so right. true. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, but being open to sharing your, your personal private space with someone that you don't know, that's something that, that you need to be comfortable with. And yet again, like it, it doesn't take much for you to really be able to establish a connection and feel like you're you get to know them really quickly generally just being motivated by the the right thing so this isn't a money-making venture and I think you guys have talked about mm-hmm, that yeah. already it's a great way to kind of supplement your income but you can't count on the income you know your student might have to move away to a different family and you may not necessarily get another student in there so you won't know for sure that you're going to have money 12 months of the year and the amount of money that you get paid is there are expenses associated with it too so making sure that you're motivated that you're doing this because you want to expose your kids to other cultures or you want to you know maybe you're an empty nester and you want to share you know your home with bring that life back into your home that you're missing or you know a lot of our families see how sort of the homogenous nature of our community here in Victoria especially and want to make sure that their kids are exposed to people from other places and I think that's really there's a lot of value in that for people more it's global able, awareness yeah. yeah I think one of the things we talk about is is that idea of being able to travel without getting on a plane you know yes. yeah yeah <laughs> traveling yeah. vicariously through your students for sure and then I think the other big overarching goal that I think it's important to talk about is the impact that it has on our communities. There's a lot of places all across Canada that are, there are schools that are suffering from declining enrollment and Mm -hmm. injecting some funds from the revenue from international students is a really important way to keep those doors open. And international education is a $9 billion industry in Canada. We can't put too fine a point on the impact that it has, you know, economically for our communities. So by hosting students, you really help ensure that your communities are thriving and and succeeding so and i think there's this sort of altruistic aspect to helping students experience something really unique and special and making sure that their travel when they come here to study is enriched by life outside the classroom that it's not all about their studies it's Mm -hmm. about what you can offer them and Mm -hmm. and feeling like you're making a difference in a young person's life is really special i find too sometimes that the students actually learn more english when they're outside of the classroom that's where the essential like key 
learning points are is when you're just having a regular conversation yeah. with somebody. So intuitive, right? Mm-hmm. Like, of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So then how do you support host families. One of the things I wanted to say, actually, you, I knew you were going to ask me about tips for hosts is to yeah. say to please call us if you have questions or you need help, especially if they've been doing it mm-hmm. for a while, feel like they can kind of kind of handle stuff on their own. So you ask how I want to provide support. I want to provide support if you ask me for support, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I need to know that you're struggling in order to help you. So always same, ask. It's always, always okay ask. to ask. That's why yeah. we're here. Yeah. Okay. And it can be little things like, you know, my student is having really long showers and I don't know what to say to like, they're using too much hot water and there's nothing left for my kids. Like, this is annoying. Like, what Mm -hmm. do I do? And it can be bigger issues like they're missing curfew and drinking and staying out late. And, you know, so like it runs the whole gamut in terms of what sort of things. But we... Chances are, knock on wood, I'll never say I've seen it all, but (laughs) chances are with the kinds of things that that hosts struggle with, we've seen it before and we can provide you some suggestions and advice about how to handle it. And ultimately, you know, sometimes it doesn't work out. I know you guys have talked about that too Mm -hmm. with some of your other guests. It's not that you're a bad person or that this is a bad student, it's just a bad match. And that's another way that we can offer support is to help reinforce that message to say this is not that you're doing something wrong or that there's something wrong with you but sometimes it's just a chemistry issue and we can you know we can sort of facilitate that move to a new family and and help you feel good about it at the end of the day yeah it's just like any other relationship in your life right, right? Mm-hmm. Just sometimes right. it just doesn't work out and That's everybody right. parts yeah. ways and we're all good yeah <laughs> and i hear that a lot too from coordinators it's always no problem is too small let's nip it in the bud quicker than before it becomes a bigger issue right it's always best to just reach out quickly and because sometimes things can snowball if you if you leave it and it gets pent up so just right yeah ask for help sooner absolutely always a good tip yeah (laughs) so what are some of the common issues that homestay families run into Mm -hmm. especially when they're starting out they're not quite sure how this works so what are some common things for sure right at the top of the list first off is food I'm sure you guys have talked about food. (laughs) We're not called the homestay kitchen for no reason. (laughs) And if you've ever traveled overseas, I think you can relate to that experience of being in a place where the food just doesn't seem right. It's not familiar. It's And it's hard to get used to that. When people are struggling with a new language, a new school, new friends, new bed, new everything, being able to eat something that, that comfort food, you know, we talk about comfort mm-hmm. food. That's We say that for a reason. You know, having familiar food is one of the places where we go back to nurture ourselves. And when everything's new, including the food, that can really destabilize a student's experience and make them feel like they're really untethered, right? So helping them connecting over food is a really great opportunity for building a relationship, but it can also really help, you know, a relationship can suffer if the food isn't working out too. So one of the things we suggest to hosts is to take your students shopping when they first arrive and literally walk down the aisles of the grocery store together and point out the things that you like and don't like. And it's pretty neat to see what sorts of produce are more expensive or cheaper in different communities. Like we just had a student from Paris and she was raving about blueberries she was like wow was like eating them by the handful and was like loves them and i said do you not have blueberries and she said yes we have blueberries but they're 
they're different and they're really expensive. So for her, it was like this delicacy. So oh of course, gosh. and they're in yes. season right now. Yes. So yeah. like, I was buying her all kinds of places. She loved them. <laughs> you know, so it's kind of fun to sort of learn about what's really special to people and what they can enjoy, but also... So when I was in my early 20s, I spent some time in Belize and I was living in a hospital dorm like for nurses and there was no refrigerator and no stove. So I was sort of having to kind of make do for my food and all the food was was really unfamiliar to me. And I remember going to a store to go grocery shopping once and finding a box of cornflakes and it oh, was wow. like, oh, I know what that oh, is. I know what that is. And yeah, and buying this box of cornflakes and then going back to my room and having to mix powdered milk with water and and like going down to the nurse's station and getting an ice cube to make the water cold so that I could have my box of cereal or my bowl of cereal in the morning. And it was, but that was heaven. Just that one little thing, like that familiar thing, right? Comfort of home right yeah. there in a bowl. Yeah. Just a in taste of home. hot, mosquito-y, otherwise really difficult experiences yeah so I think understanding that those little things can really make a difference for students and that food is really really important yeah yeah (laughs) fills them up right yeah exactly yeah (laughs) so aside from food aside from food yeah so that was my long-winded food (laughs) no I love it um What else? Common challenges. So things like daily routine, I think. So making sure that hosts are establishing what's what's okay and what's not okay when they first arrive. So do you shower in the morning or in the evening? How many times a day can you shower? Who else is using the bathroom? Do you have to clean up after yourself? Like, what do you expect them to do in terms of keeping their bedroom tidy? Do you want them to vacuum their room or will you do that? What about laundry? What about dishes? Are they expected to do dishes? Do you have a dishwasher? Do they, you know, so all of those kinds of the things that you just take for granted that are part of your daily routine, it's really important to establish some ground rules and expectations right at the beginning. Backtracking and explaining to a student two weeks after they've arrived that you actually do want them to do mm-hmm. something is harder than just being able to, mm-hmm. you know, communicate and that's one of, clearly communicate from the beginning. And I think that's one of the things for new hosts that they sort of will figure out as they go for their second student. They might do something differently that they learned yes. after having the first one. But that's another reason why listening to your podcast and talking to other host families and getting advice from their coordinator about the sorts of common household rules that they might want to lay out from the beginning is really important yeah Yeah, we've said like what's common sense to somebody isn't common when you're coming from a different country it's like common sense to us but it's just not common to them right right? so to establish it in the beginning and talk about it and just clearly outline the expectations and communicate it and sit down in the beginning in the early days and go through those those things it's just so helpful Yeah. yeah And keeping in mind things like emergency procedures too. Mm -hmm. So for example, you're talking about common sense, calling 911. Yeah, that's not, not a worldwide yeah. number. No, <laughs> it isn't. It will be a different number in their country. Yeah. Good point. So yeah, making sure that you write down 911, post it on the wall or next to oh, the yeah. phone or wherever. Push you know, the talk button yes. on the phone if you need <laughs> yes. to. If you yeah. still have a landline. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah. I do. <laughs> we have landlines and cell phones, but yeah. you, you know, they might totally. not be able to find the cell phone. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Talking about what to do if, you know, how to get out of your house if there's an emergency, locking the door. Is your cat an indoor cat and outdoor cat are they allowed to go outside like mm. all of that kind of stuff yeah the dog sure is scratching at the door it wants yeah. to go pee it's okay to let it <laughs> <Yeah>. out <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly 
so yeah, so food, managing all sort of that, that routine stuff and making sure you're clear about your expectations at the beginning. And that goes for social life and curfews. And if you've got an underage student in a high school program, you're going to need to talk about expectations around doing homework and helping with homework and reading report cards and that kind of thing. I think with adults, like you've hosted for yeah. language schools, you're like not so no, I don't engaged do that. in the academic no, stuff. I've but, done a, a high school yeah. program student once and I was like, what? <laughs> why am I getting all these emails that the <laughs> right. student's not in class? What is this? Yeah. And I just wasn't, I wasn't prepared for that. Oh, yeah. okay. I dove right in and I was like tackling yeah, it sure. on. But in the beginning, I had no idea that was... Yeah. I was going to be part of that system mm -hmm. because I was so used to the language programs and they just go off on their own and be so independent and do their thing and then right. love to come home and have dinner with us and then they're off again. And right. yeah, it's it's a different world. It yeah. is a different mm -hmm. world. And I've been really lucky. Like our high school students are very academic and I've gotten their, you know, report interim report cards and by email I'm like oh you're doing great good job on that 98% and so wow. I asked them do you need do you want me to go to your parent teacher interviews right, and they're right. like oh my my mom doesn't do that you don't need to enough yeah. so you know I, I do ask managing some of those academic issues if you have high school students can be a challenge and knowing sort of what your place is like I'm not a parent but I'm representing the parents what about the custodian if I'm not the custodian where does my responsibility yes. end and where does theirs begin so again and talking to your coordinator about that and really making sure you're clear on who's supposed to go to the parent-teacher meetings and who's supposed to manage attendance at school and make sure they're getting up in the morning and, you know. Do you manage their attendance? All of that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but what is that fine line in general between yeah. being a parent and a custodian guardian and yeah, all of good that question we've had to look at this really carefully because we act as custodians we don't ask our host families to do that and we do that because we feel like there is an extra sort of legal burden around taking on that responsibility but just yeah. also what is the definition then oh, of a sure. custodian yeah good question so it's not like a janitor <laughs> <laughs> Right. <laughs> not that kind of custodian. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not a legal guardian either. So legal guardian is a term that is used by the courts when uh, there's an orphan who requires the care and supervision of somebody like yeah. a parent. So okay. a legal guardian would take the place of a natural parent. These are not orphans. They still have parents overseas. Right. So a custodian is a term that's used by Immigration and Refugees Citizenship Canada, the government, when issuing study permits to students when they come to study in Canada for the purpose of making sure that a student who's underage has a, a responsible adult who will ensure that they go to school and pay their bills and get medical attention in an emergency and are being fed three meals a day and so on. The, the gray area here is that the IRCC doesn't actually define the expectations of a custodian. They just use this very vague term where a custodian is responsible for the duty and care, the duty of care of, of, of a minor student. So what does that mean, yeah. right? That <laughs> so sounds basically like, a yeah. like not yeah. neglecting a child. That's right. So yeah. it's, it's basically somebody who signs a piece of paper to tell the parents that, yes, they promise that they'll sort of act in place of the parents while the students are here in Canada. And we as an organization have done a lot of work to, to really drill down on what we say we are agreeing to take on 
as a result of signing that piece of paper. Mm -hmm. So we have an extra document that accompanies the IRCC form that really outlines very clearly what it is that we say we're doing a custodian and a set of services that the parents are paying for and what we exclude from that set of services. So one of the things that we did that was helpful was to look at what in family law. So we're separating family law from immigration law here. Wow, we're getting really, really into it. Yeah. But looking at family law, like what does it say in the law that a parent should do? If a parent's neglecting a child, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. And we've we've sort of identified what we think we should be doing and what we're not. So one of the things we don't do is manage the religious upbringing of an international student. Mm-hmm. That's up to the natural mm-hmm. parents, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we are going to take the student to the hospital if there's an emergency. Love it. Right? So there's some things that are very black and white. Yes, we'll do this. And no, Mm -hmm. we won't do that. And we've basically teased those apart and come up with our own definition. (laughs) Because these parents are sending their kids across the world. Right? So it's great that you're outlining how we'll take care of them. Well, we don't want any any assumptions. One of our models is no surprises. So to the extent that a parent might make an assumption about what a custodian is supposed to do on their behalf of their child, we just want there to be no surprises. So for example, we have had on occasion, not very often, students who are arrested for breaking the law. Mm -hmm. And it's not our responsibility as custodian to hire a lawyer and attend a court case with them that we think the parents should come over from the country to, to Canada and take responsibility for their child at that point. Mm-hmm. That's, right. yeah. you know, that's reassuring for people who are thinking about hosting to say, you know, there are limits mm-hmm. to what you're expected to do as a host parent. Mm-hmm. Of course, we want you to treat this as your own child. But on the other hand, <laughs> behaviorally, <they're, laughs> again, these aren't orphans. Yeah. They still have parents. Yeah. There are things that their parents are expected to do that there's a line that, that you are aren't expected to cross. So if a student really isn't suitable for homestay anymore, and there's a number of reasons why that might be the case, then, you know, you're off the hook, so to speak. And do students have to sign or is there a student agreement in yes. terms of like what they're yes. they're expected for their behavior? For example, they're yeah. not allowed to break the law. Right. <laughs> yes. So as soon as they break the law, they're out of the homestay program. Yeah. You know, so we're very clear about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Student expectations on how they'll participate within the program or within exactly. yeah. um, homestay. Yeah. And that document gets longer and longer oh. right? every year. <laughs> because you've learned from yeah. past experiences, yeah. perhaps. Okay. <laughs> So then, again, going back to the homestay versus the custodian, if the Canada Homestay Network is the custodian, then what is the homestay parent or family responsible for? Yeah, so at that point, I think the simplest definition is to say to provide that home away from home for this person who's traveling, to treat them as as if they're your own child, and to ask for help if you get into hot water. If if the kid is doing something that you think isn't right uh, or that you feel like is one step beyond what you signed up for, then pick up the phone. Yeah, I think that's the simplest way to describe it, really. Yeah. Yeah. Like, we expect you to provide a home away from home and look after the student and make sure that they're feeling settled and that they're going to school and they're, you know, having a a good social life, but not breaking rules and pushing boundaries and you know there's some normal teenage behavior especially with teenagers that you can anticipate like teenagers will be teenagers whether from China or Canada yeah but yeah there's there's definitely things that you don't have to be alone for sort of struggling through so some examples of things that we would think 
that a student was no longer suitable for homestay. I think we've used the extreme example of breaking the law, but it'll just throw yeah. that out there again. Eating disorders comes up as a challenge that, you know, for some students, if if they're being managed with the support of a doctor and they're following their the guidelines that have been set out for them, then they can sometimes they can stay in homestay. But eating disorders is is the deadliest mental health issue. It's even before suicide caused by depression. It's oh, it's more wow. deadly than that. So it's it's not something to be trifled with. And I think that a lot of our again, a lot of our hosts think that they can sort of they want to help their students and support them through mm. this challenge. But at some point, again, there's this is not what you signed up for as a host parent to have to manage a medical crisis like that. All other mental health issues would come under that too. And I think we're seeing a lot more of those in homestay in more recent years. I think mm-hmm. the way we do in our general population that there's more people talking about it and it's which is a good thing. And yet again, I wouldn't expect a host parent to have to, you know, manage a student who's really struggling with a medical issue. There are some things to do, like you were talking about hosting adults. Some of these adults come here and they're really treating homestay as a landing pad and a place to sleep. It's sort of a cheaper option than some of the other accommodation options out there. That's not really what homestay is about either. Some of your other guests have talked about the different sort of degrees of connection that you have with different students, which is totally normal. And yet, there are those students that really aren't treating this as a real homestay experience. And if if it's not working out for you from that perspective, or they're treating you like a hotel, mm-hmm. yeah. expecting mm-hmm. you to do their laundry and clean up after them, like, no, that's not homestay either. So again, that's another reason to call because I think some hosts think, well, they put the student in homestay, so they must belong in homestay. But that's not always the case. Like, yeah. There's also sometimes people will have the fear that these kids maybe for the high school students they're forced to come here by their parents and they don't want to be here so you're going to have a bad experience like how common is that not that common it can happen for Mm -hmm. sure let's be honest (laughs) we see it and it's sad when it happens because you think they're kind of being shuffled off banished or sent away wrong with this child and so they're sent away yeah no i don't think that's the case i think the majority of our students are really here for the right reasons so just to put some numbers around that we've been tracking what we call our relocation rate which is how often a student has to move to a new family Mm. for decades now and it stayed pretty steady at 11 to 13 percent so put another way 90 percent of our well 89 percent of our students are happy with their first time match yeah so the majority of the time it works out really well and everybody's happy and then there's the small percent of the time where we have to move the student to a new home for a bunch of different reasons and about half the time the students initiate that move and half the time the hosts mm-hmm. do so do you find it's mainly because of relationship issues or are yeah. there other it's it, sometimes it's totally benign like I want to live closer to this new friend that I made down, you know, Mm -hmm. like, you know, it's like nobody's fault. It's just whatever. Sometimes they don't disclose something on their application. Like, oh, don't you know I'm allergic to cats? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Move you to a home without cats then. And then sometimes, yes, it's relationship breakdown. So, or chemistry or whatever. Mm. Yeah. So talk to us more about the student and host matching process. How does that work? We look at the host and the student profiles on a variety of different metrics. I wish I could say that we try to match the people who love soccer with the 
family who's the dad's a soccer coach and (laughs) that kind of thing. That's definitely part of the process. But to be honest, the first thing we look at is the allergies. So whether or not there's a pet allergy and pets in the home and smoking or non-smoking, those are kind of the deal breaker pieces Mm -hmm. that rule out families right away. And then gender and nationality preferences. So we have families, for example, where they've got three daughters who are all sort of preschool age and they really want to host a girl because that would make sense for their family. That's what they know. So that they have a preference to host females. So if we have a male student, then we won't give them a male student, right? So you look at the deal breakers first. Look at the deal breakers first. And then from there, we look at other pieces like length of stay and proximity to the school and those sorts of things. And and then we get into the hobbies and interests and try to do our best to match those up. So it's important for the host to make sure that they're clear about, for example, the difference between watching sports on TV and actually Actually playing playing sports. sports. (laughs) Because if we give you a really sporty kid who wants to play basketball every day, it's not going to satisfy them to be sitting in front of the TV, right? So, (laughs) So yeah, so we know our host families really well. We get to know them. Most of our hosts have been with us for several years, some 10 or 15 or even 20 years. We just rely on uh, the information that the agents give us about the students. And sometimes we don't have a lot to go on. As you know, from hosting adult students yes. you just sometimes you get a name and a date of birth yep, and that's, that's it they're it. showing up next week okay <laughs> so we do our best but you know that's another place where relocations can come in handy because once we move them to that you know once we've met them here in person we can talk a lot more about oh you really don't like children like you have yeah. that student yeah. who's like i actually don't like kids well that would have been helpful to know yeah <laughs> i would have been here in the first place yeah and we all would have had a she would have had a happier experience right from the get-go yeah. if she yeah. disclosed that information. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's tricky. I, one of the things I wanted to share was the challenges that we have as an organization. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of hosts don't appreciate that we our hands are tied sometimes with some of the issues that we struggle with. So, for example, we see over and over again situations where agents are filling in applications on behalf of the student. Interesting. Oh. So, you know, it'll say, for example, the opposite of your experience, that they don't don't like kids when in fact they love kids but the oh. agent will write that on the form as a proxy for I want a home that's quiet where my student can study so it has right. nothing to do with kids oh. yes so they'll they'll put the stuff on the form that really isn't all that helpful and and then the host gets upset because you say well I wish I'd known or this student isn't fitting with my family what were you thinking mm. and we're saying Sorry, like we, what it said we, on the form. Absolutely. <laughs> we're doing our only, best with yeah. the information we Go have. On. And yeah. there's no sort of malicious intent here on anyone's behalf. It's really just I think what I what we observe when the agents do that kind of stuff is that they're they have bad experiences in the past with some of the maybe some of the companies they've worked with or particular students. And so they try to control some of the things that are hard to control. Mm. And so they'll put boundaries around stuff to say, well, if I put on the form that they don't like kids, then I'll get a quieter house when, you know, like it's like, so -hmm. they're sort of trying to manipulate the situation a little bit to, to manage the, all the variables. Well, what we're dealing with here is people. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You can never manage away all those variables. So, and we tell that to agents when we meet them overseas is please just be honest about what your students need. You know, your students really well. We know the hosts really well. Let's talk and let's try to make this work for everybody. Because that student might get like an older couple that doesn't go out and do all the things they want to do because they want a house without 
kids right. when if they had just said, That's right. actually what I need is this, they could have been placed somewhere that might have fit better. And the same thing can happen when you are dealing with a relocation. So I know some hosts feel really unfairly handled or like the situation isn't the process didn't follow the the process that they would expect so for example maybe they feel didn't they weren't heard like we didn't talk to them enough about their side of the story when we're moving a student and i think again it's helpful to understand that there's a lot of variables at play when we get students wanting to move for example we've got the natural parents and their perspective and opinion, and they're often very protective of their kids. Mm -hmm. We mm -hmm. have an agent in the middle who's trying to preserve their reputation and manage a business. We have the school district or the school who want to preserve the relationship with the agent because the agent is sending them students and they've spent thousands of dollars traveling overseas to nurture relationships with these organizations. You know, you've got the host family, you have the teachers and the I'm already losing track. Like there's lots <laughs> yes, of players. You're, and you're juggling a lot of balls yeah. in the air. And ultimately right? we want everyone to go home happy with smiley faces. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. But sometimes the decisions that we make as an organization that can seem unfair from your perspective are much more complex than <laughs> than we can explain. And sometimes there's information that we can't share that's confidential. Totally confidential. So, yeah. So just appreciating that we always have your interests at heart. We know that we wouldn't have programs if it wasn't for our amazing host families. And yet, you know, we can't always follow due process in a way that you think we should. So it's, we're trying, but mm -hmm. <laughs> you're nurturing many, yeah. many relationships, yeah. right? You've yeah. got the homestay families and the students and the parents. Yes. All exactly. those relationships that you're trying to feed and totally. nourish. It's yeah. Complicated sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> trying to keep everybody happy. Yeah. Yeah. So that's part one of this conversation. We'll get to more stories about challenges and what homestay hosts might go through next week for part two of this interview with Jennifer Wilson of the Canada Homestay Network. Yep, there'll definitely be more stories, including her personal perspective of being a parent this time. Yeah, her daughter went and studied abroad. You'll have to tune into next week's episode to hear all about it. Thanks for listening to The Homestay Kitchen, hosted by Mary Chan and Erin Eastman. Produced by me, Mary Chan of Organized Sound Productions. Web and show notes by Erin Eastman. Like what you're hearing? Write us a review wherever you listen. Or drop us an email at homestaykitchen at gmail.com. We would really appreciate it. For more information on this episode, visit homestaykitchen.com. And when you're ready to dish up your stories, connect with us on Instagram at Homestay Kitchen or on Facebook. Thanks for joining us.